Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijha Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast, you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا رب العالمين أما بعد. So carrying on from last week, uh, if you have the book, a copy of the translation, it's page 170. We're on the 20th chapter, Surah Taha, and we're on verse number 90. So yeah, if you have the copy, again, it's... Sorry about that. If you have a copy, it's uh, page 170. I just, uh, can I have someone who would volunteer to read? Anybody? You just gotta read the English. Any volunteers? Nobody? Yeah, let's go for it. Uh, 90? Yeah, verse 90. Aaron had already warned them uh, beforehand. All my people, you are uh, only being tested by this. For indeed, your one true Lord is the most compassionate. So follow me and obey my orders. Jazakallah khair. Okay, so verse, let's, let's step back and understand where we're at in this story. This is the story of the Prophet Moses. Peace be upon him. Musa alayhi salam. That Allah is narrating in the surah. <clears throat> So there's, there's a lot of background to it, but in a nutshell, um, we have reached the point where the Prophet Musa salam, had gone to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to meet with Allah and receive the scripture, the Torah. Now, <clears throat> when he got there, he was meant to bring his people with him, but he left them behind and he kind of just hurried to go meet God. I mean, you can't blame him, right? You're about to go meet Allah. So he left his people behind and he left, he left his brother, Harun, also a prophet, Aaron. He left him in charge. So just take care of my people, right? Take care of them. Don't let them become like corrupted. Uh, just look after them. So he went to meet Allah. Allah told him like, hey, where's your people? You didn't, you didn't bring your people. You came really quick. And he told Allah, well, I came because I want you to be happy with me and I want to receive the the scripture, the guidance that will guide my people on how to live life. <clears throat> Ultimately, Allah told him, look, in the time that you left your people and came to meet me, your people have gone astray. Your people have gone astray. They followed this one guy whose name is Samiri. They followed him. He misguided them. So... You need to go back and fix this. He receives the scripture and he goes back. And he's angry. One of the things, if you study the life of the Prophet Moses, Musa salam, you'll realize is that he's someone who's very quick to anger. He had, you know, some, you know, like, you could say a temper. So he, and he, so he would get angry. And so he comes back to his people, the Quran, and just a few verses before this, um, verse 86, right? 
Musa alayhi salam returns to his people furious and sorrowful. All right, he comes back to them, he's angry. He's angry at them and he's angry at his brother. He's angry at the people that, hey, literally we were going to go meet God, we're going to receive scripture from him. Um, up until now, Allah has been saving you from Fir'aun, from the Pharaoh. He helped you cross the sea, split the sea for you. He's done all these amazing things for you. And now you're just going to completely abandon belief in him and start worshipping this, uh, it's a little calf that this man, Samiri, had, come about, had, had made. Um, and he had made it make some sounds. So, it was like a golden calf. So he comes back and he's upset at his people. And he's upset at his brother. Hey, like I left you in charge. You're supposed to look after the people. But clearly you didn't do that because they're all, they're all misguided. Or at least a large portion of them are mis misguided. Why didn't you stop them? So Allah mentions that, look, the prophet Harun, Aaron, had warned them. Aaron had already warned them beforehand. The moment he started to see his people go astray, he warned them. And he told them, listen, all my people, this is just a test. This is a test from Allah, right? Your Lord is Allah. Don't leave your belief in Allah. So follow me, obey my orders. He's telling them, like, listen to me. But they didn't do that, right? What is, look what they tell this prophet Aaron. You know, next verse, inshallah. They replied, uh, we will not cease to worship it until Moses returns to us. Right, that's what they said. They said, listen, we're, we're going to continue doing what we're doing. We're going to worship this thing until Moses, Musa alayhi salam, comes back. If he tells us to stop, okay, we'll stop. But you, no, we're, I'm good. We're good. We're not going to change. Right? This is a very interesting point here to think about. You know? You can't change people unless they want to change. And this can be one of the most painful realities for us to accept. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you have a person in your life. It could be a family member. If you're a parent, it could be your child. It could just be somebody that's very dear to you in your life. And you desperately want good for them. That's the crazy thing, right? You're not even trying to destroy them or something that they might now like kind of stay away. You want it for their good. But they don't see it like that. Yeah, go ahead. On what basis did they reject teachings? Because they also knew he was a prophet as well. They knew he was a prophet. But the interesting thing is that the Banu Israel, you'll see them repeatedly make this mistake. The moment, and this is like a very interesting thing about human beings. It's like the human psyche. When things are tough, we tend to be on our toes and we tend to do what needs to be done. And when life becomes easy, we tend to become lax and we start to neglect our duties. This is just a, a reality. The Banu Israel, they lived in, in slavery under Fir'aun, under Pharaoh. And at that time, they were not like, you know, crazy rebellious people. They did what they were told, and they just listened to Fir'aun, whatever he said. Now, you would think, okay, when you free them, right? You free them from slavery. You save them from Fir'aun, and Fir'aun comes to try to kill them. That the Prophet Musa then takes them and crosses a sea, like literally a sea is split for them. You would think at that time that they would be like, what? Like, 
crazy grateful, no? Like intensely grateful, seeing all those things. That's not human beings. You know, it's very interesting that there's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned how a time will come where, you know, Allah will open up the dunya to people, to Muslims, where they will have a lot of the dunya. So the companions, they were like, well, this is a good thing. Because, they said what? If we have a lot of wealth, like a lot of money, like we've, we got like multiple homes paid off, we got like cars, everything, we're good. We can just worship God in peace. Right now, if I ask you, why don't you spend more time reciting Quran, what are you going to tell me? Ah, Shaykh, like I got, I, got, I got work. Or I got school. You're going to give me all these... Valid excuses. Valid. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not getting on you for that. Right? So, and if I were to ask you, that, hey, listen. You know, sometimes in Ramadan we say that too. I've heard people say that. They're like, man, in Ramadan, I wish I didn't have to work. I wish I didn't have to do all the other things. Okay. If you had Ramadan completely off, are you confident that you would spend it like, like properly that time? How many of you have found yourselves way less productive when you have nothing to do. But when you think about it, all the things that you say you want to do, you don't do them even when you have like the whole day free. And then you find yourself to be way more productive when? When there are other institutions in life pushing you. So like schools telling you got to be there at 8 a.m. Right? So then suddenly you're there at 8 a.m. And if you didn't have school, you might not wake up till noon. This is a really interesting thing. When... When we're actually in shackles, sometimes we actually are way more productive and we do what needs to be done. So that example of like having so much money and so many cars, so you don't have to work then. Let's just say you don't have to work. Let's say you've earned enough that you don't have to another, work another day in your life. Is that a good thing? Someone would be like, listen, man, that, that's awesome. I'd just go to the gym every day and I would go to the masjid and I would do this and that. And Would you? No, 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 let's not lie to ourselves because there are plenty of people who have exactly what I just described right now in the world, Muslims. That's not what they're doing. And let alone that's not what they're doing. When you have that much money, it becomes easier to sin in even greater ways. So why are we so confident that if we had all that, that we wouldn't sin in a greater way? Like sometimes, we, we avoid certain sins because we can't even afford those sins, bro. Let's be real. We can't even afford it. Like we're too broke to sin that, that sin. Do you get what I'm coming from? And it's a good thing. No, it's a good thing. And it's something I think about sometimes. Like here's an example. Right now, and here's an example. The value of social constraints. I know a lot of us are like, Man, social constraints. You know, we're like, we care what people think. So some of us think the best way would be when we don't care what anybody thinks and no one cares about what we do. We think that would be like the ideal state of affairs. Don't be so confident. Let me give you an example. Right now, you live in your city, right? Let's say you live in your city. So there's family hopefully there. And then you got friends, people who know you. Let's be real, man. Let's say... You want to get up to no good. What's one of the things that actually holds you back? What if somebody 
catches you? What if someone sees you? Right? Is it not? Let's be real about it. Trying to find a parking lot. Yeah? Which one? Where nobody goes. Y'all like, shit, you really went there? Yeah, I went there. Absolutely. Let's be real about this. We are very worried about, no, I can't. You're like, we can't even go there. Like, why don't we just go to that mall? No, but my uncle goes there. Right? Like, you like, think really hard about a place. So people go to Toronto. So people go to Toronto. Think about this. Imagine you were living all alone in a foreign country, somewhere in Europe, at a university studying maybe, and there's nobody who knows you there. Not a single relative, not a single parent, not a single person who's related to you. How much easier is it to sin there? Tell me. Way easier. Way easier. What's, what's, what's the difference? Social constraints. There is, there is a certain value to social constraints. With the Banu Israel, the issue was, now they just had this... You know, it's like, you ever heard of Jack in a Box? You know, like, they're inside of a box, you press it and it just bounces everywhere? That's what happens to some people. You know when you shelter them too long? And then you let them out in the world, and it's all just new to them? And they want to explore everything? Right? Because it's all just, oh wow, I can't believe this. So the companion said, oh that'd be amazing, the day comes where we have all this money, and we don't even have to like work anymore. We would just worship Allah all day. And the Prophet said, no. That's, that's not how it works. Because sometimes too much dunya can be too much for you. And you won't know how to handle it. It's like fame. People think I want to be famous. Do you really want to be famous? There are people who like flee. Trying to flee the paparazzi all the time. You can't even sneeze in peace. Right? So like sometimes we don't really know what, what's good for us. So we want things that we think are good for us until they're not. Until we realize they're not. The Banu Israel were just human beings. Despite all the blessings of Allah, they would forget those blessings. Do you get what I'm saying? Like you're saying there's every reason for them to obey and practice, right? But that's, we have every reason to obey and practice. Right? There, are, there are people on the other side of the world who live way harder lives than us way harder lives. And then, if you ask them, they would say, man, if my life was easy, I would be way more like, committed to my deen. Well, we have a group of people here whose life is actually way easier. And, uh, nope, it's not looking like they're very committed to their deen. Do you get what I'm saying here? That's the nature of human beings. So we gotta be real about it, right? So, so despite the fact that they knew it, you could still fall into sin. I mean, they had a prophet in front of them. We have a miracle in front of us too. The Quran is a miracle. We still like disobey. Do you get what I'm saying? We still disobey. So, yeah. Anyways. So they said, listen, we're not going to change our ways until Musa Islam comes back. When he comes back and tells us, stop, then we'll stop. The point I was making was, it's important to recognize that not everybody's ready to change today. Sometimes, you, you know, we just have to wait for people to mature. And I don't mean mature biologically. It might be like some psychological <laughs> maturity. I'm talking about spiritual maturity. And you might have never heard this concept. Our teachers used to talk about this. The idea of someone being spiritually mature. What's a sign that you're spiritually mature? Is that you begin to take seriously those questions, those larger questions of life. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I took my son for Umrah. He's seven years old. 
We went to say salam to the Prophet Does he know what we did? Not really. He said all the words I told him to say. You know, when he went to, we did tawaf, he did umrah, he wore the ihram, he did all of it. Does he really get it? Not really. He doesn't appreciate what happened there. And, but that's, that's understandable, right? He's seven years old. You get people in their 20s who will go there and not understand it either. So they're, go, they're going there and they're like, dude, I just want to try KFC. I'm like, dude, you came all the way here. MashaAllah, the holy lands. And you're thinking about KFC? Come on, man. That's the Kaaba right there, bro. But that's a lack of spiritual maturity. They're, they're in their 20s. So they're biologically mature. They are, you, you know, and you can think about like, I'm speaking about it in religious terms, but it's not even necessarily religious. You don't even have to necessarily be religious to, to have spiritual maturity or to be growing spiritually. Um, you know, people who just, they're like, you know, in their late teens or 20s. And to them, life is still like a joke. You ever met someone like that? Life is still a joke, so they'll still do like wild things. They'll, they'll take crazy risks and gambles. You're like, that's not worth it. Like, why would you do that? You know, when you're 18, it makes sense, right? Because you don't actually understand the greater implications of your actions. Very often you don't. Very common. But in your late 20s, by that time, you should, you should have some idea. Psychologically, they're very intelligent, usually. And biologically, they're, they're developed. But they haven't begun to take life seriously. And so sometimes we lack that. And, and the real sad thing is when it takes a tragedy or some type of serious, serious like grief or pain or heartbreak to get people to wake up to the reality of life um, and to start taking it serious. Do you get what I'm saying? That, but that's human beings though, right? Sometimes that's all we wait for. Right? Like, how many of you have noticed a family member who didn't even believe in dieting? Who didn't even believe in dieting? The idea, the concept of dieting to them was like, what? Who diets? What's this eating salad? No. Until they got diabetes. No, no, let's be real, right? And then all of a sudden, what do you see? I can't eat that. Oh, my, okay, now, now who's dieting? It took a, like, a disease. It took something, like a sickness for you to understand that you need to take care of your health. What if you did this a long time ago? Do you get where I'm coming from? But they're not mature enough to understand that when it comes to like that, that aspect of their life. So spiritual maturity is also a thing. And some people are not spiritually mature enough to, to want to change. So you're trying to push it, but it's not, they're not ready for it. And, and, and sometimes, you know, it, it hurts, man. It hurts. Because you see somebody doing something that you know from your experience. Maybe you're older than them. Maybe you've been... You know, experience more things than them. And you see them and you're like, please, for the love of God, don't do that. It's not going to turn out good. But you know the crazy thing? And here's another general principle. One of the mistakes we make is we really think that we're, we're very unique. Maybe we're told that from a young age. Oh, you're unique. The world is your oyster. And we're given all these like things and you're just like this unique person. Look, you, you're definitely unique in some regards. But you're actually a lot like everybody else around you. You are. And as time goes on, you start to realize that. 
And forget people around you. Forget like people your age. I'm sorry to say, like I, I'm sorry because, not because it's a bad thing. Let me be, disclaimer. I'm sorry not because it's a bad thing, but because you might think it's a bad thing. You're probably a lot more like your parents than you would like to believe. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You'd be like, me? No, I'm like the total opposite. No, trust me. Time will tell you. That's why in premarital training, we explore, we explore the, you know, the family that you grew up in and the roles that your parents played in their marriage. We explore that. Why? Because a lot of your expectations of how you expect marriage to play out will be influenced, whether you like it or not, by what you saw in your own home between your, your, your parents. And I'm not saying, you might think, no, I didn't, I didn't like their relationship. No, exactly. So it, I'm not saying that you're going you're gonna to do exactly what they did. You might actually be inspired or motivated to do the opposite. You're still influenced, right? You're still influenced. Whether you're doing what they did, or whether you're, you're, you're hell-bent on doing the opposite, you're still influenced. You're still using them as a point of reference when you try to decide how you want to behave in your marriage. So it's important to, to study that point of reference. The point I'm trying to make here is, we're not that different, man. As human beings, like human nature at its core is pretty similar. So this idea that people have, that no, I'll be different. No, oh, you had your heart broken? No, no, I'm different. No, I understand. Like, you were naive. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Oh, he's different. He's not like the guy that... No, he's different. She's different. Trust me. I know him. I know her. Right. Right. I'm going to sit here in Hespler Masjid and just wait for you to come. It might take a few years. No, no, I'm not trying to downplay. I'm just saying, we, we disregard... We disregard... Uh, people who are trying to offer us advice, thinking that we're so unique. That's a lie that's sold to us, guys. It's not the case. It's a lie. And so let's not, let's not do that. Let's try to um, recognize how similar we actually are and learn from these lessons. Okay, so these people said we're not going to stop worshipping. They weren't ready to change their ways. They said we're going to change when Musa comes. Okay, so then he comes. So then Musa comes back. And what does he say? Go oh, Bismillah. Verse 92. Moses scolded his brother, O Aaron, what prevented you when you saw them going astray from following after me? How could you disobey my order? Right. It's beautiful that you read both because, yeah, it's connected. Yeah, he comes back and he doesn't get... The, the verse mentions that he gets mad at his brother, the prophet. He doesn't get mad at his people. I mean, he asks them some questions, but then he... Gets mad at his brother. Why? He's responsible. He's responsible, right? He's the leader. We hold leadership to a higher standard of accountability. So he comes to his brother and he says, Why didn't you stop him? You saw all these people, they started worshiping something other than Allah. Why didn't you stop them? Right? And he told him, Why didn't you obey my orders? Why didn't you follow what I said? Why didn't you obey my orders? When he said, why don't you follow me, right? What prevented you from following me? The scholars interpret this two ways. One, they say, from following me by like actually traveling behind me to meet Allah. Or they say it means to follow my orders. 
Right? So basically, why didn't you do anything about it? And now watch the response. Watch what Aaron Harun says to his brother Musa. Aaron pleaded, O son of my mother, do not seize me by my beard or the hair of my, of my head. I really uh, feared that you would say you have caused division among the children of Israel and did not observe my word. Right. Okay, there's a few things we want to we wanna note here. The first thing he says is, O oh, 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 son of my mother. That expression, uh, it's actually not accurate because they were not, they were like complete brothers. They, they were not just brothers through a common mother. They were like full brothers. So, but the reason why he appeals to the mother is to soften the heart of Musa Like, hey, we are children of the same mother. Don't be so harsh on me. Like, you're not speaking to a stranger, you're speaking to your blood brother. Like, be gentle. That's what he's trying to tell him, right? So this also, you know, highlights for us the, the importance of choosing our words wisely when we're trying to, like, get a certain reaction from people. Do you get what I'm saying? Um, so it's not, you know, sometimes we, we, we claim that we're actually trying to help somebody change, but we're just venting, Right? If you don't change your ways, you're going to go to Jahannam. It's like, okay. And then when you ask the person, why did you say that? Like, why would you say that? They're like, no, because but I told them the truth, right? Like, I want them to change. It's like, no. You were pissed off at them, so you are just venting. Do you understand? Like, you could tell yourself you were actually trying to get them to change, but like, the way you were speaking is not about to make them change. You're just venting. So, it's important to know how we speak. Okay, what does he tell him? He says, listen, don't, don't become so aggressive with me. The reason why I didn't do anything about these people starting to worship other than Allah is that I was worried that you would come back and, and you would see division in the people. This is really interesting. It's a huge point of discussion I want to have today. He said what? That if I tried to stop this group of people from worshiping this golden calf, which is other than Allah, so they're doing shirk. If I stop them, then perhaps the whole like, group of people, the Banu Israel, perhaps they would become divided. And then you would come back and see all this division and say, Oh Harun, oh Aaron, why did you allow them to become divided? So like, if I don't do anything, at least I maintain some unity. But then you get mad because they're worshipping a golden calf. And if I did do something, they might become divided, then you would come back and be angry about division. So, I, I was kind of stuck. I did what I could. Right? This is, there's a few points here. Number one, you actually have two prophets who see the situation very differently. What's the right approach? What's the right approach? For example, yeah, I'm going to go there. There's a sister online on Instagram doing something. What's the right approach? Do you need to jump up in the... You know what's funny? I said, I said there's a sister on Instagram doing something. Guys, you know what just happened? A few sisters fixed their hijab just now. They're probably so used to people, brothers popping up in the comments. Sister, I can see your hair. You get what I'm saying? What's the right approach? When you see someone doing something wrong, 
What's the right approach? Are you obligated to jump in the comment section? Fix it right there. We got to fix this now. Is that what you need to do? And what happens very often actually is that when we do that, we push people away. You know division? We push people away from the religion. Like I don't know how many of you know somebody who doesn't come to the masjid or who doesn't attend religious spaces because somebody was harsh with them whilst they were making mistakes. Or maybe they were sinning. But someone perhaps said the right thing, quote-unquote, in terms of like whether or not they were accurately explaining what's right and wrong, but the way they did it pushed the person away. And you might say, what's the big deal, man? That's their problem. They get pushed away, that's on them. Guys, when y'all do that, and I'm saying y'all, but like, when anyone does that, you know how hard it is to get them back? Sometimes it's parents. Sometimes it's parents in the way that they present religion to their children, they actually push their children away from religion. And then those children, after number one, after a long time, you can ask some of their friends, you know how hard it is to get them to come to like Wijha? It's so hard. They don't want to come. They hear, they hear masjid or religious space, they're like, oh heck no, I'm good. I'm good. No, no. I know what goes on there. I, I know what the sheikh's going to say. They don't want to step foot in that space because the wound goes deep. You know that sometimes when you lose somebody, it's very hard to get them back. Now what's the alternative? The alternative is that they're making a mistake, they're sinning. And you're seeing it. And you want to see them change their ways. So then what, do you stay quiet and not say anything at all? Or do you maybe look for a a moment where you think they might be more receptive to hearing it? Do you maybe look for somebody who might be able to advise them? Because maybe you're not the person. I find it really interesting that people in comment sections really seem to believe that they as strangers are going to really change drastically this person posting something. Like the, like the person posting is probably looking like, I have no idea who you are and what you're saying. Like, what, who are you? Why would I listen to you? Do you understand? How many of you have changed your life because of a stranger? Nobody. When do you change? You probably change when someone that you care about and that you believe cares about you gives you some advice. Pulls you aside and says, hey, I think what you're doing is not best. It's not the best thing to do. Maybe you should try to consider doing it a different way, living a different way. It's not good for you. You know what I mean? And, and that tends to touch our hearts. Do you see the difference here? Musa sees them sinning, which is shirk, like totally wrong. What does he want to do? Stop it right now. What does Harun say? Now I think the best approach is, let's not jump on them right away, right? Let's not, let's, let them worship until you come back. Because when you come, they'll listen to you. You see that? The idea is not that you don't tell people. The idea is not that you don't advise people. But think carefully if you're the right person. Because if you're not, you're just going to be called the haram police. That's what you're going to be called. And if anything, you might just guilt people into feeling very far from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> Do you get where I'm coming from? 
You know, I'll, I'll give you a story here. I remember, um, I remember there's a sister. She, uh, she started wearing hijab, okay? And uh, the way she would wear hijab was, you know, the, the front of her hair would show, okay? And so she would go to the masjid. And when she would show up at the masjid, there would be aunties who would criticize her. You know? They'd criticize her, like, what's this? What's the point? If she ever posted something online, there would always be somebody in the comment section saying, what's this? What's the point? Why do you even wear that scarf if you're not going to wear it properly? Da, 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 da. And they'd go off. And it really hurt her. And she explained to me, she said, you know, she says, my family thinks I'm too religious. Yeah. She says, the day I wore that scarf, my family members told me, what's wrong with you? Hold up, chill out. You're still young. Why are you becoming all religious and extreme? Like, just chill. Go pray, that's fine. But why you gotta do the whole scarf thing? She says, to wear what I'm currently wearing is too extreme for my family. But I fight them. But I fight them and say, no, no. I really wanna wear hijab one day. So right now, this is what I'm wearing. You see that? It's too extreme for her family. When she comes to the masjid, it's too liberal for the, for the people in the masjid. What does that person do? You know, the poor woman was like stuck in no man's land or no woman's land. Do you get what I'm saying? At home too extreme and at the masjid too liberal. What do you do? If you're at the masjid, imagine those, those who are at the masjid understood. Wow, do you know how much of a fight this sister had to put up just to wear whatever she's wearing? Do you know how much of a fight she had to put up? Many of those who wear it properly, who are wearing it properly, probably were encouraged by everybody to do it. And maybe even pressured into doing it. There's a big difference. Look, we're not saying that there is no example, you know, guidelines for how to wear it. Hey, that's not my point. My point is, sometimes we need to try to understand where people are at, even before we begin to advise them. To understand how far they've come. Because if you don't acknowledge that, you discredit all the effort they put in. How many of you have done that? Where you put so much effort in, but it wasn't good enough for your parents, maybe. And you're like, listen, I tried really hard. Still not good enough for you? What's, what's, the, what's the reaction after that? What's the reaction? Tell me, guys. What's the common reaction after that? When you do almost your utmost, but it's still not good enough, then you say what? Tell me. Nobody knows? Everyone's like, oh, we've never experienced that. Like, we don't know what you're talking about, sir. Come on, y'all, speak up. Well, what happened? What do people tend to do? Try harder. <laughs> maybe. No, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't act like nobody does that. Maybe some people do try harder. But what happens when you try harder and it's still not good enough? Like no matter how hard you try, it's never good enough. You give up. Very common. To say, you know what? Screw it. And you just, you throw in the towel. Say, that's it. I'm not even trying anymore. Because there's no point. If I put in no effort, I'm going to get criticized. If I put in all my effort, I'm going to get criticized. Just forget it. It's never good enough. Do you see the harms when you don't, when you don't acknowledge someone's journey? You know how painful it is for them? Say, look, okay, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying. Like, give me the, give me the credit that I'm trying. 
And we're not ready to give people the credit that they're trying even. Do you understand what I'm saying here? And so Harun is saying, look, we're going to advise these people. They're sinning, they're doing shirk, but I don't think I'm the right person. I think Musa is the right person. So when Musa comes, he'll advise them. And he's very, very intelligent. He's a prophet of God. And you can see his approach here. So he doesn't want to cause friction and be the person. So sometimes, maybe you're not the person. I have people come to me. They'll say, I have a sibling and they're doing this and that. What am I supposed to do? And when I ask them, like, so what do you think you should do? And they say, I don't want to be like a second mother or a second father to them. I'm like, very smart. Good. You recognize that. Excellent. Yeah, you don't want to be a second mother to that child. You don't want to be a second father. You don't want to do that. So, does that mean, okay, because you're not telling your younger sibling what's right or wrong, that you don't care about them? Or that you're, you're totally cool with what they're doing? No. It means you recognize that maybe you're not the person to say it. So then your duty becomes, let me look for somebody that's influential enough that might be able to convince them or advise them. That's what the Prophet Harun does. So, okay, my brother Musa is coming, he'll speak to him. Does that make sense? Y'all get where I'm coming from with that? Okay, inshallah. Let's, uh, let's stop there. Um, we'll go forward, inshallah, next week from verse 95. Jazakallah khair for reading. Um, Jazakallah khair to everybody for coming out again. Uh, do we have desserts? Yeah? Are they out already? Okay, excellent, inshallah. So please, inshallah, grab desserts. Uh, Maghrib will be in about half an hour to 40 minutes. So inshallah, um, until then, just please, you know, try to make some friends, try to meet people that you've never spoken to before. Um, yeah, try not to leave without having made a new friend, inshallah. All right? Assalamu alaikum wa أينما تكونوا يأتي بكم الله جميعا إن الله على كل شيء قدير